CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria discusses the changing state of Victoria's Chinese businesses in an episode of Full Circle, Settler Mythologies and Chinatown. Uh, my name is Charlene thornton Joe, and born and raised Victoria person whose family had been very involved in the Chinese community. Well, you know, a lot of people contact me and say that I must be sad and that they go down to Chinatown and their stores that definitely aren't Chinese. And I, I have to remind people that people that, you know, in, the, in those days when people said it was all Chinese owned and Chinese run, they worked seven days a week. They worked 12 hours a day and they worked, uh, you know, people like my folks. Uh, worked very hard to make sure that we had an education, that we finished high school, if we want to go to university. Their hopes that we would not take over their jobs. They wanted us to have jobs that had a pension, that paid well, that had medical and dental. And so, of course, the children of uh, all those folks that had those stores in Chinatown have moved on. They've become lawyers, they become doctors, uh, in my case, a city councillor. This episode was brought to you by the Community Radio Fund of Canada. To dispel the myths of Victoria and hear our histories, check out cfuvpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, Anin. Odette Oje Nadishnakaz. Ninduji Segmuk Nadishnabek through my mom. Hands Passing Forward is about Indigenous artists transferring skills for the artists of tomorrow. This series documents traditional skills shared in fine detail through thoughtful artist interviews and conversations and also soundscapes from artist studios. My goal was to share insight into the actual processes while archiving mentorship relationships between Indigenous artists. To me, respectful interviewing means deeply listening for the why they weave, how decisions are made, what's appropriate to share in a carving, especially what is happening energetically when you sit beside an elder and learn from their hands and their voices. Creating soundscapes was my way to better communicate, try to capture that moment of transfer. The knowledge and artistry being transferred is a treasure beyond measure. We often hear or say since time immemorial. This series is about for Time Immemorial too. This series was generously funded by the First Peoples Cultural Council Sharing Traditional Arts Across Generations Award. Cole Speck is an award-winning Kwakwaya carver from Namgis. He learned from elders and master carvers Bo Dick and Wayne Alfred. In this story you will hear in Cole's voice his deep love and respect for his culture. His own art holds a powerful balance keeping old traditions alive while allowing his own contemporary style.
Hello, my name is Cole Speck. Um, I'm a member of the Kwakwakiwak Nation. I grew up in a small village called Alert Bay. It's on the northeast shore of Vancouver Island. The artwork that I create is primarily carvings and as well as I do different types of mixed medium as well as things paintings and I add things into the paintings or my carvings that I do and enjoy um, pencil crayon sketches and things of this sort. I, I like to dabble in all different kinds of things but primarily I do a lot of um, my main medium of is wood carving and wood sculptural type stuff primarily masks um, when I was about 16 I was Odick asked me if I would like to learn how to carve from him and so I jumped at the opportunity and dove in head first if you will I never looked back from that point um, it was a really incredible experience. The, at that time in Alert Bay, there was, in Bo's kitchen, there'd be, at any given moment, there was, you know, sometimes half a dozen upwards to maybe 15, sometimes 20 people working within the kitchen and the living room area of his house. And it was a pretty incredible experience. Um, it was just like a unbelievable factory of all this incredible artwork being created on the regular day in and day out and then when the time for preparing for potlatches would occur there would be even a greater influx of artists that would come and get involved and show up to his house and start working and it was a pretty amazing experience. <laughs> And that was the formative, during my formative years of my apprenticeship with him. And then it carried on upward, up till, um, worked with him up until his last days at UBC, helping him with the documented project. A project working towards creating this undersea kingdom masks that were brought to Greece and Castle, Germany as part of Documenta 14, I believe. And so during the early stages of the apprenticeship that I started with Bo, he would <clears throat> help me with, uh, would start off, he would would get a block of wood and start it off and get the shapes, get the house, their house shapes sorted out for it. And then from there, he would just rough the mask out and make me watch him rough it out. Hoping that it was going to sink into my mind, I guess. And I guess it worked over time, but it was really hard to keep up with him because he, when he worked, he worked so fast and it was... If you didn't have a very keen eye at what was happening, 
you could easily get lost in the steps that, you, that were being made. And it was only after countless times of rep repetitively watching him create these different masks that I felt that I started to understand the um, formula that was at play with while he was working. And then, so he would start it off and then we'd have some, it'd be a pretty rough looking piece of wood. And from there, he, he would get to using his knives after the majority of the bulk of the mask was missing, I guess. After it had all been taken away, he would sit there and he would go through about four or five different steps and then hand the mask over to me and tell me to match up those steps that he had just taken and sometimes it was a little bit more difficult than I would care to admit because it was a lot of steps, there was a lot of technical things taking place that if I missed one step it was going to throw everything out of whack and that happened from a few times too where I got lost and made some mistakes and was And that was okay, because that's when I learned the most, I think, was when I made those mistakes, and then I understood the reasoning behind each step. And then after a while, I could piece the steps together without even necessarily needing to see how he had done it. But it was a fairly, I would consider it a fairly traditional style of... Uh, apprenticeship that I partook in with him. He helped guide me through a lot of things, and not just within the artwork itself, but the cultural aspect of everything, which is a lot more important to be learning the purpose of these masks that we were making. It was a lot more important to understand the history behind these masks and the rites and prerogatives that were associated with these different masks and dances. I'm creating the more cultural, um, creating the cultural objects, I don't actually talk about it too much. I don't generally, I don't generally photograph the cultural objects that I create and a lot of the time it's really interesting because they don't, they're only seen for a few minutes but I get the most satisfaction out of those pieces that were only shown for very short period of time and through that they're able to then they're just they're gone to get wrapped up and put away into somebody's family's box of treasures as you will and they don't they're not put on display yet those pieces have a lot more meaning than the pieces that I create that end up on the market and end up in the marketplace and hanging on somebody's wall. Now, don't get me wrong, I put a lot of effort into and a lot of um, energy goes into creating these pieces that are created for the marketplace. But the personal satisfaction is the more private parts of 
the culture and the things that I've created for different families that have only been shown for a very short period of time and I don't even have any documentation of a lot of those pieces that I've created. I don't feel that it's my place to document them and not looking for the for people for the recognition behind creating those pieces either because they're very special and I don't feel like it's my place to necessarily display that in any in any capacity. I personally think I'm a strong believer that every child is an artist. I feel that every person has the capabilities to be an artist. And for sure there's some genetic aspect to that, I would I would assume. But the genetic aspect of it can only take you so far. There's the technical skills and the technical capabilities that one needs to really hone and work on in order to create beautiful artworks that being said there's a lot of there's a lot of different factors that are involved with that I guess so you know you might consider a young child who sits there and who's painting for instance and on what level of creativity is that? I find the children painting with just the absolute freedom of doing whatever they want and knowing exactly how they want to paint this, we'll call it, say, a canvas, for instance. I have my, my children, I always have spare canvases kicking around my studio space, and when my boys come into the shop, a lot of the time I'll have them set up with some paints and pull out the canvas and set it up for them with a bunch of paints there and have all kinds of different paints and different colors and they start experimenting with the different colors and mixing the different colors a lot of the time you end up with brown but and then they just start over again add new colors but at the end of the day and then you sit back and look at this canvas and everything is very meticulously positioned and it doesn't necessarily have any um, doesn't necessarily have to be anything but yet there's some raw energy associated with that painting now because this little child put all, they put a lot of energy into these paintings and you can you can feel it you can appreciate it some some people can I guess not everybody's necessarily sensitive enough to to feel that but I feel like I, but I enjoy it it really makes my heart feel good when I see little kids painting and practicing different types of 
creativity, whether it be singing or painting, you know, um, I mean, there's so many different facets of creativity as well. just first and foremost hanging out with all the different people that I was fortunate to be around during the formative years of my um, apprenticeship I was really grateful and I got to be in the same space sitting around with these different master carvers and artists from all different walks of life every one of them very capable in what they were doing uh, to say the least, I mean, one of my favorite artists and mentors, uh, Wayne Alford, I was really, he helped me with a lot of different things um, over the years, especially he would um, help me with different projects. I remember he helped me with the very first plaque I ever carved and he helped me and Aubrey with the design and step, stepped us through how to carve these plaques and it was really interesting and that was, I mean like, that's just one of the first things he helped, helped me with and it didn't turn out very well. Um, in fact, I'm not even sure if I'd even finished it. But then there was some other things that, but just learning and how the process was with Wayne and how his process was in comparison to the way that I learned from Bo because they had two com had, it was two completely different styles of creation and so it was really beneficial for me to see that and appreciate that different different uh, How's the saying go? There's many roads to all the roads lead to Rome, and so help um, broaden the horizon, if as you will, if you will, about how there isn't just one way to do things. There's many different ways to do things. One of my favorite projects I worked on with Wayne was this little, these little globular um, rattles with this. A face on one side and a round on the other, and it turned out quite quite incredible. Actually, Bo carried that rattle around with him all over the world, all over the place. Actually, <laughs> it was one of my favorite pieces that I ever made. Actually, my early years of my apprenticeship was. Being, being around, just being around everybody when they were preparing for the potlatches and the early stages, I wasn't much help. If anything, I was probably just on the road all the time, in the way. And over time, being in the way translated to 
me being a part of the crew and helping. And so in the early stages, it was just merely painting things and not necessarily doing the greatest job, but people had probably had to come back. I know people had to come back and clean up after my painting and things like that. But that was okay too, because I was still, it was giving me a good idea of how to do things, but to the point now where I'm able to um, where I can do a lot of the different aspects of that, where I understand how to make them make the pieces, and I understand how to um, dress them for being danced, and how to set them up so that they can be used properly for dances and all that and things like that. Sometimes I have to set myself goals. I don't necessarily feel that I do that all the time. If I'm feeling a bit of a crunch for time and then I have to really manage my time properly, I will um, definitely set goals and make sure that I reach those goals before I call it a day. Um, which has been a little bit more problematic as of late you know I have I don't know I managed to get into a little bit of a car accident a couple of years back and it's definitely played a significant role in slowing my processes down and not necessarily being able to get as much work done in a day as I used to and so I, I guess I do set quite a bit of goals these days but Those goals can vary. Sometimes it could just be, I want to finish getting my forehead cleaned off for the day. Or it could be, I want to just clean the eye sockets up. And if I can get those eye sockets done today, that'll put me in a good position for the following day and continue it on in that sense. that I don't necessarily feel like I, I'm aiming to things that I create towards. I'm not trying to gear it towards a certain group of people or anything. And I hope that people from all walks of life are able to engage with it in a different level. And um, I like to use that as a way of bridging some gaps within the communities that we, we all live in. You know, I there's a lot of... Um, different types of one is don't want to you know the let's just say the Canadian government has not done a very great job at informing 
the general public and the gen general population of people. And so then they, occasionally people will see my artwork and then it creates a dialogue with them. And I'm able to have these really hard conversations with people that about things like the residential schools and the relocations and all the, just some of the more horrendous things that have happened to, the, to our people since contact. And a lot of the time people just don't have any information. They're just, I don't want to say ignorant, but it's just that they are unaware of a lot of these things. And it's only now in the recent times that, you know, thankfully Truth and Reconciliation Canada has started to create some dialogue there and really forced a lot of these issues into the mainstream, Canadian mainstream, I guess, right? And from there, we're able to have more dialogue with different people. And then sometimes you run into people that just, they're not going to, they're pretty set in their ways. They're not going to change their minds. And it's really hard to weed those people out from the people that genuinely want to learn about these things. And so from there, it, it, it allows a point of engagement. And then you can, within a few, whether it's on some form of social media or if it's in person, within a few minutes, you're going you're gonna to be able to assess the situation and feel, figure out if they want to that somebody that's genuinely concerned about learning and or if it's somebody that just wants to argue with you, you know, there's a lot of those people out there as well. Everybody sees things differently and that's part of life is the way I view something is very obviously not going to be the way necessarily the way that you view it and that's okay. There's different ways of looking at things and understanding that somebody might really appreciate my artwork and somebody might not like it at all. And I've encountered both of those types of people. And I don't, it's not, and it's hard to contextualize what I'm thinking right now. Um, As a result of my car accident, I've suffered a brain injury and I live with post-concussion syndrome, I think they call it. And um, on top of that, I've got uh, ADD, so the words don't always come out necessarily the way that I want them to. And so sometimes I have to slow down and think. But I'm, I don't feel too concerned about how other people view my artwork or the way they necessarily regard it because everybody has a right to their own opinion and if they don't care for it, they don't care for it. But I don't, personally, I, I, I don't feel like I need to allow somebody's lack of appreciation towards my artwork isn't my problem. Because not everybody has to like it, and that's okay. As a creative individual, 
I do believe that I perceive the world differently from a lot of other people. Um, but that could also just be the fact that everybody's own, every, everyone's own reality is not necessarily the same as everybody else's. We all have similarities, but everybody views things separately, you know? You look at the... Some people see these tragic, major tragic events in life as horrific, and other people, they don't care too much about it. It doesn't seem to bother them at all. And so, as a result, I feel... Just in general, we all... Everyone's interpretation of the world around us is different. As a result, uh, the processes when I'm creating my artwork is a lot different than a lot of other people's have found. Um, and that just goes back to there's many different there's de many different ways to get to the end result. So for me, I don't necessarily feel like the way that my thought processes are is unusual. But if somebody else was to sit there and pick my brain while I'm working, they might be, they might get a little bit confused about how everything takes place. I didn't let the system conform me to it, I don't think. I didn't allow the I didn't allow myself to be absorbed into this I didn't allow them to beat the child out of me, if you will. I didn't allow the school system to take away the creativity within me. Um I didn't get enough schooling to take away from who I am as a person and didn't allow that to they didn't allow them to force me into a box I've always been quite claustrophobic I didn't like the idea of being suffocated within a box and as a result I maintained that way of viewing the world that we live in Pretty sure it was grade two when um, my friend Aubrey and myself and our other friend Harold and another friend of ours, Nolan, we actually, um, we started writing comic books. We had this series of comic books that we had put together when we were quite young, we were like grade two or whatever it was. And we had this whole 
we drew, drew our very own comic books. We didn't have a whole lot of access to comic books when we were kids in the village there. Um, for whatever reason, we just, they weren't really much of a thing at that point in time, I guess, in the late 90s. In the late 90s, I guess, I don't know, it didn't seem like we never seen too much in the way of comic books, so we started writing our own comic books and they, how they were relevant to us and so each of us we had our very own alter ego within the comic books and we were all fish and we had these series of um, just typical superhero-esque comic books stories that we put together as little kids and it was they were pretty cool I remember the one TA she was pretty happy with us and we were planning on getting them photocopied and producing them on a grander scale, but I don't, I don't recall whatever actually happened with that. But I remember we managed to put a few few different books together. And around the same time, me and my friend Aubrey, we would go into the library every day when we didn't have... Um, when we didn't have any... Half, well, they wouldn't let us outside because the weather was too ugly or whatever, so we'd go to the library and we would draw. We had this one of these old books, one of these old art books of not different collections of Northwest Coast art, and there was this beautiful rattle with a um, face on it and this claws sticking out from behind it, and we used to draw it every day. We Every chance we had, we'd go run to the library to go draw this rattle. And it got to the point where both of us could end, after a while, we could both draw the rattle without needing to see the picture. And felt quite accomplished about that. As young children, I guess. And I mean, like, that's the early stages. I remember I used to carve when I was... Started carving when I was quite little, um... My mother worked in the, what was called the KTFC Fisheries Office and below it. And the, this was all in the St. Mike's residential school. It wasn't the residential school anymore, but that's where the band office was. And the KTFC office was there. And in the basement, they had the carving shop there. And so every day after school, when I was staying with my mom, because she worked upstairs, I would go and hang out and watch some guys carve. As a pretty young child, I'm not entirely sure how old I was at that point, but I was pretty young. And eventually I started carving at home until I cut my hand pretty good one day. Didn't tell anybody, I just went and wrapped it up with toilet paper and my mom wasn't paying too much attention. She just was cleaning up my mess and all my wood chips and stuff and didn't think too much of it and figured I was just playing with my toys in my bedroom, but I was just laying there for almost in shock, probably. Because <laughs> I cut my hand pretty good. It was pretty nasty. If you could see the big scar on my hand. It's still a pretty big scar. and You kind of consider that big scar on a little per little kid's hand. It's like, oof, gee, it must have been an ugly one. And then they took all my tools away, and then it wasn't until Bo asked me if I wanted to learn how to carve till I picked up the knives again. And so that was pretty... It was a bit of a break in between. 
would say there's a very strong connection between the spiritual self and my creativity and they're one and the same I would say I've had many many dreams that were very insightful towards my creative processes and different kinds of tutorials if you will in my dreams of how to make things and quite often I've dreamt about creating stuff and then bringing it to fruition, bringing it into this reality of, yeah, no, I do, I definitely, yeah, I definitely dream, my dreams definitely play a role in my creative processes. The standard I have for myself versus the standard I have for other people are two completely separate, um, separate realms, I guess. Um, I have a very high standard that I want to keep for myself and I keep striving to push the standard for myself higher and higher and higher. I'm constantly wanting to do better and create, um, set my bar higher and higher every every chance I get. Every time I get close to my bar, I move it up again. Every time I almost reach in the, these goals of, as you will, they, um, just as I'm about to reach it, I'll move it again. Because I have very, very high expectations of myself. Um, but that's just, on, on for me on my own personal level and then when I look at other people's artwork I don't judge it the same way um, because I really appreciate all artwork I like to I like to think that I appreciate everything you know and something I appreciate and so I don't really I don't know how to I try not to I don't want to judge other people's artwork in a in the same way that I judge myself. I don't think that that would be um, wouldn't be very. It's not. I don't know. I don't like to judge other people the way I judge myself because I'm extremely hard on myself. I guess, and I really enjoy looking at other people's artwork and the things that other people create it really um really brings a lot of happiness to me um because i know i know a lot of incredible artists like incredible artists who just make art in their free time and they're not marketing it i do appreciate being able to spend all my time working as an artist and 
being able to provide for myself and my family with my artwork is really beneficial because it allows me so much more time just to spend creating. I don't have to worry about having a second job and trying to squeeze time into um, to to do my artwork. So I guess they are. It is quite relevant to my art, to my work, but not in the sense that. I'm creating this artwork for money. It's more along the lines of being able to create things. And then there is a monetary reward at the end of it, but it allows me to keep making more things and it just allows more room for me to continue to make more things and make more things. And I just want to keep making stuff. That's, that's, that's the reward for me. It's not necessarily the, financial aspect of it so much but it kind of is because it allows me to spend more time working the more time working the happier I am the less less worries I have in, about the world I suppose and my mind doesn't ramble on and on and get lost in my thoughts of it's my one it's been the one consistent safe space in my life for a very long time has been while I'm in the studio working and it allows me that freedom of being safe and comfortable like a little turtle in his shell when I'm in the studio. So Gila Kessler and thank you. You have been listening to Hands Passing Forward, a collection of audio stories created and produced by Audette Augier. This series emerged from our First Peoples Cultural Council project, sharing traditional arts across generations. It features interviews with Jesse Rakalma, Pamela Post, Sozan Blaney, and Cole Speck. Original music for this series is by Johnny Hanus, with special thanks to Dan Peters of Spark Music and the Podcast From Here Workshop. This series is funded in part by the Community Radio Fund of Canada. To find more cutting-edge, award-winning, and locally-made podcasts, visit cfuvpodcasts.com. Merci for listening, and have a really nice day. Tune in to CFUV 101.9 FM Mondays from 11 to noon for CFUV Presents, the best of CFUV's podcasts. You can stream online at cfuv.ca.